Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Watch Dogs Bark. <laughs> My name is Drew. I am your host, and I consider myself a watchdog. This is episode 32. And if you've listened to any or all of the podcasts up until this point, thank you so much for your support. And please remember to relay the bark. <laughs> all right. In this episode, I'm going to be covering carbon neutrality. What's it really going to cost? And you're going to listen to this insane exchange between Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana and the Deputy Secretary of Energy about what it's going to cost, what the goal is to obtain carbon neutrality, and pretty much he can't say what it's really going to cost or how much it's going to lower the temperature. So that sounds really like an effective thing. Uh, huh, right. Okay. Then we're going to talk about equitable grading. And if you remember back in the original, I think it was episode two, I talked about the what's happening in our schools, kindergarten through 12th grade, and Yuri Bezmenov talking about the multi-generational plan to destroy the U.S. by demoralizing and desensitizing a entire generation. Well, this is the final step. And it sounds like compassion and kindness. And all it really is, is pity and bigotry. I'll explain more later on. Then we're going to talk about the fact that we still have not seen that manifesto from the trans shooter in Tennessee. I'll explain why and how. I don't know if we're ever going to because it doesn't seem like this administration's really interested in letting you know what really happened. And... I believe the reason why it's still not a part of the news cycle 24-7 is because all of the victims were Christians. I'll explain that later on. And then my feelings on this horrible tragedy on the New York subway between the 24-year-old white military man and a mentally challenged black man and why... The narrative, I mean, it matches the narrative, so the media is going to be talking about it 24-7 and causing these protests and riots that are starting to rise up around the country. It kind of reminds me of the riots that immediately followed George Floyd incident. So I believe it's on purpose. And Alan Dershowitz, one of the most prominent and respected lawyers in our country with a record of 30 years of law practice, usually invited on all the news programs to give opinions and uh, invited to speak at colleges around the, the entire country, is now being ostracized and the left is trying to cancel him because of a one, uh, one and a half hour defense he made in Congress of the civil rights of an individual the left hates a lot. All right. That and maybe a couple of more things if I find time. But stay tuned for that. And again, thanks for listening. Also, at some time during the podcast, I want to tell you about a wonderful experience I had 
over the weekend when I was talking to someone who disagreed with me. And we had a wonderful discussion and went back and forth and back and forth. And you know what we discovered after a while? We had way more things in common than things we did not have in common. And we agreed on way more than we both thought we were going to agree on. So I believe that's the case with everyone around our entire country. I believe if we sit and talk face-to-face and get through all of the preconceived ideas and biases and prejudices that we have and strip all that down and have real conversations with each other, we're going to find out that we all have a lot more in common than not. And that we actually have commonalities and agreements on many things we were probably surprised to find out we agreed on. So I think that's one of the things missing in our country. I think we're not talking to each other anymore. I think we're talking at each other and we're waiting for that opportunity to throw in the dig that's supposed to take down the other person. But we're not actually talking to each other. And I think that's one of the big things missing. And I think that needs to change. And I hope to be one that initiates this change. Because I do. I welcome all opinions. You're welcome to write me, Drew, at thewatchdogsbark.com. All right. All right. First and foremost, carbon neutrality. Everyone's talking about it right now. So I thought I would throw in my two cents. (laughs) The Department of Energy wants to spend untold trillions of dollars to get the U.S. carbon neutral by 2050. Listen to what happened when there was an exchange between Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana and the Deputy Secretary of the Department of Energy and what he had to say about it. Listen to this. Thanks for being here. I want to tap your expertise for a moment. Uh, give, give, me, um, uh, give me your best estimate, just an estimate I know, uh, of, of uh, uh, how soon you think the United States of America will be carbon neutral. So uh, I think, according to the climate scientists around the world and certainly the cutting-edge scientists that we need to rely on here in the U.S., we've got to get carbon neutral by 2050. And I'm very comfortable with that target. And I think that's the appropriate target. By 2050. Which is only 27 years. That is not a long time away. And and how much will that cost? So the cost that I focus on even more is all the costs that are going to happen if we don't get our act together. How much will it cost to get us carbon neutral? It's going to cost trillions of dollars and it'll cost tens of trillions of dollars if we don't get our act together. How many trillions? I don't have the estimate or the numbers in front of me. I've seen a variety of different estimates, but it's a large amount. Fundamentally transforming our energy economy the is a big deal. You, tell me the estimates that you've seen. I don't have those numbers right on hand. So so you're advocating that we become carbon neutral, but you don't know how much it's going to cost. So there's an awful lot of estimates out there. It depends yeah, on you're, technology you're the, improvement you're the and other secretary. kinds of things. You're the expert. I know, I know with how much it's going to cost. I know with the certainty of all the experts I've spoken about, it's cheaper to get our act together than it is to not get our act together on climate change. Okay, then tell me the cost versus the cost that we, if we don't do it. I think it's orders of magnitude different. If we don't get our act together, it's you don't, you don't have a cost. You want us to get there, but you can't tell the American taxpayer how much it's going to cost. 
Is that your testimony? It's going to save us money, and there's a lot of jobs. Well, how do we know if you don't know how much it's going to cost? Uh, I'd be happy to pull up the latest numbers that I've seen. How about $50 trillion? Dollars, is that right? It's going to cost trillions of dollars. There's no doubt about it. Okay. If we spend trillions of dollars and we achieve, I, some of your colleagues estimate $50 trillion, and it disappoints me that you're not willing to give the estimates. I, I, don't, I, I hope you're not telling me you have no idea how much it's going to cost. That creates a whole new host of problems. But but uh, if it costs $50 trillion, as some of your colleagues have testified, to become carbon neutral by 2050, and I'm all for carbon neutrality, by the way, how much is that going to lower world temperatures? Or how much is that going to reduce the increase in world temperatures? So every country around the world needs to get its act together. Our emissions are about 13% of global emissions Yeah, but if right you could now. answer my question, if we spend $50 trillion to become carbon neutral in the United States of America by 2050. You're the Deputy Secretary of Energy. Give me your estimate of how much that is going to reduce world temperatures. So, so first of all, it's a net cost. Um, it's what uh, benefits we're having from getting our act together and reducing all of those climate benefits. We're seeing Let me ask again, maybe I'm, being, right now maybe I'm not being clear. If we spent $50 trillion to become carbon neutral by 2050 in the United States of America, how, how much is that going to reduce world temperatures? This is a global problem. So we need to reduce our emissions and we need to do everything we can. How much, if we do our part, countries. is it going to reduce so world we're temperatures? So we're 13% of global emissions. You don't know, right do you? You don't know, do you? You can do the math. We need to. You reduce. don't know, do you, Mr. Secretary? Wasn't that fun? Yeah. And for those of you listening around the world, that's usually how things go when we have someone come and testify in front of a congressional committee, be it in the House of Representatives or the Senate. Everybody loves to obfuscate or be obtuse or uh, I guess you could probably say be political. Those are those are very political answers when he would not give a direct response to Senator Kennedy's question, that was being political. So let me kind of recap. Our Department of Energy wants to spend $50 trillion. And of course, they can't tell us how much it's going to drop the temperature of the surface of the earth because they don't know. Go back and listen to other podcasts. And ch I challenge you. I challenge any of you listening. Send me an email, drew at thewatchdogsbark.com, that gives me proof of one, and I mean just one, climate change disaster prediction that has come true. Just one. I'll wait. Okay, just send that to me. And if, if you can send it to me and I can research it and find out it's true, I'll say it on the air. I'm not afraid to admit when I'm wrong. But I know I'm not in this one because I've watched very closely since the 70s. All this talk about back then it was global cooling and the next ice age. Then it became global warming and the melting of the ice caps. And now it's just climate change because then it covers the temperature going up and coming down. And it, it covers severe winters and severe droughts and severe monsoon seasons and very light monsoon seasons. 
and it covers heavy hurricane seasons and very light hurricane seasons. So they've, they've covered all their bases now because they've changed everything to climate change. So let's just go back to what the deputy secretary said, 13%. That, that's what the United States is responsible for, 13% of the world's carbon emissions. So if we want to stop the Earth's temperature from rising, I believe it was one degrees. So let's just, let's just make it one degree to make the math really easy. So we're trying to stop the Earth's surface temperature from rising one degree in the next hundred years. So by 2050, that's about, what, 26-ish uh, years? So let's call it 25. So if we take 0.25 degrees by 2050, and the United States is responsible for 13% of that, so 13% of 0.25 is 0.0325, or a little over three one hundredth of a degree for the bargain basement price of just $50 trillion. I am going to keep telling you this over and over and over again. This is not about the Earth's temperature. This is not about the cleanliness of our air or water. It has everything to do with control. If you go back and listen to my podcast about the line being built in Saudi Arabia, that housing project that's going to be 500 uh, feet high, glass walls, 200 feet wide, and 17 and a half miles long, and it will house 9 million people. Ran by electricity, nothing will be within five, or beyond five minutes of your house. You'll have everything you need. It kind of reminds me of when you go to the World Economic Forum and you listen to the video saying, in the future, you will own nothing and everyone will be happy. Yeah. Well, that is all what their plans are for us peons. They want us to only rely on electric generated by renewables only. That You understand if you go to California, they have so many problems. Every single summer, they have brownouts and they have to ration electric use. And you remember, um, Gavin Newsom said, please don't charge your electric vehicles at some certain time of night because that overloads our electrical grid. Well, guess what? <laughs> Therein lies the problem, my friends. And you remember, they said they were never going to ban gas stoves. Well, guess what? New York City has just passed a new law where all new housing projects need to be built without natural gas. No natural gas stoves, no natural gas heating. That is it. They want us to get used to the brownouts, restricted charging times, rationing. Do you think that the elites are going to restrict themselves to energy Based on renewables, wind and solar, absolutely not. They need fossil fuels for their yachts and planes and mansions. They want meat for themselves. They want us peons to get used to having much, much less. So they can continue living the lifestyles they've grown accustomed to. Name me one billionaire elitist that practices what they preach. I'll wait. Yeah, that's not going to happen because I know you can't find one. The ones that are screaming and yelling for 
all of us, and they, we put that in quotes because it doesn't include the elites, all of us, meaning us peons, need to get used to having less, to having energy only by renewables, to eating insects, and to scaling back our lives and not being so extravagant with everything we want to do. Because they want us to get used to that so they can continue their consumption at the same level it is today. My friends, this is all about control. That's all it's ever been about. All right. There is a school in Oregon, and I believe in Washington State, that is now considering that they want to institute what's called equitable grading. This means no grades. No homework. You don't even need to show up to class. You're not even getting it marked down for not attending class. All in the name of equity. They're lowering the standards for everyone. Do you remember back in my second podcast, I talked about what is happening in our education system. Yuri Bezmenov talked about the four-step plan to demoralize and desensitize generations in our country to destroy our country from within. I want to pose a question to you. How many countries do you think have fallen to communism all with the good intentions of equity? Think about that for a second. To my friends of color, have you ever heard the expression, the soft bigotry of low expectations? This is exactly what this is. This is not compassion. It's pity. They are lowering the standards because they do not think you are as smart and not able to achieve the high standards that have been expected of everyone in the past. You remember my podcast, What is Happening in Our Education Systems? CR2 teaches that white kids should be ashamed of their skin color and they are oppressors, no matter how they were raised. Black kids should not even try because the system is stacked against them. It's all systemic racism everywhere you look. Do you want to know what real racism is? It's lowering expectations in the name of equity because you do not think a certain group of people are smart or strong enough to compete at the same levels. It's the same reason why affirmative action was introduced. They're, they'll gladly keep lowering the standards, destroying our education system, again, all in the name of equity, to the point where no kids grow up with the skills they need to, to succeed and thrive in life. Then the government will step in, like they already have, and say, we will take care of you because we know you can't take care of yourselves. Do you want to talk about systemic racism? The people that keep lowering standards in the name of equity are the racists. It may look like compassion, but is only pity and bigotry, my friends. Pay attention. To my friends of color, please wake up. They are trying to flatter you. Remember my last podcast? They're trying to flatter you with the free stuff they're going to give you and, and the lowering of the standards because they feel sorry for you and they want everyone to be equal. That is not it at all. This is the soft bigotry of low expectations. And many of African-American activists over the years have talked about this very thing. And again, I will ask you, and I want you to think about this before we go on to the next subject. How many countries have fallen into communist rule 
or been destroyed all in the name of equity. Think about that. Okay, we still do not have the manifesto of the trans shooter in Tennessee. What does it say to you when a president and vice president won't call the victims of a school shooting because they're Christian? Kamala Harris went to visit Nashville to support the legislators who took a bullhorn and allowed protesters into an official state legislation meeting. And while she was there, Kamala Harris didn't take the time to call the families of the six Christians, three that were nine-year-olds that were killed by a trans shooter. Why? Because it doesn't match the narrative. It's the same reason the FBI is still holding on to that manifesto. It will shine a spotlight on the problems with mental illness, and especially the mental illness associated with gender dysphoria. I think it is absolutely unforgivable that Kamala Harris and President Biden have not shown any compassion or made any phone calls to offer condolences or support to the Christian families that lost loved ones that day. It's completely asinine, in my opinion. What do you guys think? All right, this latest story of the 24-year-old military man who put a mentally ill man in a chokehold on the New York City F train is really, really sad to me. I want to explain something. Do you know why this story is getting all of the news right now? Is because it's a white man killing a black man. That's the narrative they want to keep perpetuating over and over and over. What happened to uh, Mr. Neely? I'll just say Mr. Neely and uh, Sergeant Penny. All right, so Mr. Neely and Mr. Penny. All right, Mr. Neely had a history of arrests, some physical assaults, one kidnapping. He has been seen numerous times on New York subways punching people in the face. And I'm not trying to justify what Sergeant Penny did, but I am trying to point out that he was protecting himself and other people on the train. I lived in New York City and I have been threatened on the New York subway. And one time I tried to step in to defend someone and got my butt kicked. So I'll never do that again. But the people on that train all know what really happened. And the protesters that are coming out now, of course, Black Lives Matter and other protesters that are actually blocking subway lines and holding passengers hostage, saying, you know, find another train or you can't go any further, you can't get home, you can't get to work, whatever. The real problem here is this is being used as an escalation method. What happened was very tragic, but it was not a first-degree murder. Sergeant Penny did not get on that train and decide to murder Mr. Neely. That just didn't happen. Mr. Neely made threats physically to everyone on the train, including Sergeant Penny and others that were with him. And he even said things like, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I don't care if I go to jail, I don't care if I go to jail for the rest of my life. And he made physical threats. When he did that, he stepped over the line that's allowed. So Officer Penny took him into a chokehold to try and subdue him. Now, there is a chokehold where you can collapse the two carotid arteries, cut off blood flow to the brain, 
make the person go unconscious and then release everything, and they wake up with one hell of a headache later on, but they live. But you see, the problem is Mr. Neely would not stop struggling at all, ever. He kept fighting and fighting. It took three to four guys to hold him down. And officer, or, uh, Sergeant Penny's intention was to subdue him and then turn him over to the police at the next subway stop. And unfortunately, Mr. Neely died. And the lawyers for Sergeant Penny said that he had no intention of doing that. He was just trying to protect himself and the others on the train from Mr. Neely, who was making physical threats. So this is really, really sad. And everyone on the left is all talking about what a great person Mr. Neely was. You know, he was such a wonderful person. He was such a great Michael Jackson impersonator. And I'm sure he was. But on that day, he threatened the last time. He made threats as he has done many times. He's been arrested 44 times. A dozen of those times were for physical threats and physical assault. So he wasn't performing for the people in the subway. He was threatening them. The system in New York City let this man down. He should have been receiving mental help. You see, when he was a child, his father brutally murdered his mother, stuffed her in a suitcase, and left her on the Hudson Highway. And when they found the father, this 18-year-old Neely had to testify against his father. Imagine having to do that, and imagine the trauma that would cause. And then imagine not being mentally able to handle all of that and having a mental breakdown and having mental issues the rest of your life. So I feel horrible for Mr. Neely. And the majority of the homeless in this country are mentally ill and they have nowhere to go. It is my opinion, this is a shining example of why we need to open up, reopen and open up new mental hospitals. We need to get these people help. We need to teach these people that the trauma that they experience that caused this mental anguish and pain isn't what defines them. That's what I believe we need to do. All right. The last thing I want to cover before I give you my positive message is Alan Dershowitz is one of my all-time favorite lawyers. He, is, he has been so well-respected. For 30 years, he had a stellar career. He even worked for the ACLU, defending people uh, with, and their civil liberties. And he did not vote for Donald Trump and is basically an old-school liberal. But for an hour and a half a few years ago, he dared defend Donald Trump in front of Congress. Now, because he did that one mistake, the left will never allow him to have success or recognition the rest of his life. That's what they do. This is called cancel culture. If the left disagrees with you, and if you do enough to offend them and get them motivated, they will do everything to destroy you, your family, your business, and your life. That's what they believe is justified. They believe that their opinion is so strongly right versus wrong, and they are in the right, that if you dare express a different opinion, they will destroy you to prove their point. Which party was it that said they were tolerant again? I, I, I'm getting confused now. But yeah, now Alan Dershowitz is no longer invited on college campuses 
And it's sad because he has more experience than almost any other lawyer I've ever heard speak. He is an icon in the law business. And you remember that name, Alan Dershowitz. That's one of the biggest lawyers that ever has been in our country. And he is no longer invited to speak at law universities or any other engagements because the left wants to ban him and from anyone to ever hear from him again because he made that one mistake of defending the civil rights of Donald Trump and his right to the rule of law. You see, I've noticed that, especially on the left, there are a couple of examples of people on the right doing the same thing. It's called the court of public opinion. The court of of public opinion on the left is brutal. If they find you guilty, you are guilty in their eyes until you can prove yourself innocent. You see, they don't see everyone equal. The rule of law says everyone is equal in the eyes of the law until they are proven otherwise. Or to interpret that even more clearly, everyone when they enter that court of law before their trial begins is presumed innocent. And only after they are proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt are they convicted. They can be charged, but until they are convicted, they are still innocent. And that's all Alan Dershowitz was trying to explain, that the left has this real problem, especially the court of public opinion, of saying, you are guilty in our eyes. Now, prove yourself innocent. Prove us wrong. That's not how the rule of law works. That's not how the rule of law has ever worked. All right. And again, this comes from the party that claims to be the party of tolerance and inclusion. And I've discovered in the industry I've worked in for almost 35 years, that is not the case. That is absolutely not the case. The industry I've worked in is dominated by an opinion different than mine. I've had to keep my mouth shut for 30 years. I know eventually these worlds are going to collide, and I pray that everything's going to be okay at that point. But I, am, I have to do this. I have to be this voice because there are things happening that people need to understand, and they need to understand both sides, and they need to understand that every single person has the same right to the rule of law and the same right to the freedom of speech that allows them to express their opinions. So I'm expressing mine and exercising my right by starting this podcast. All right. Okay, a real quick positive message. One of my favorite quotes, and honestly, I don't even know who said it. It was so long ago. I used to say it all the time, and I don't know who said it. But whatever the, the, the quote goes like this. Whatever the mind of man can conceive, the hand of man can achieve. And if you think about that really clearly, do you want to know how powerful the mind really is? Look in your hand, the phone you have in your hand, or the car you're driving, or the couch you're sitting on, or the apartment or home you're sitting in, or the pool you're sitting in, or wherever you are listening to this podcast, 
every single thing around you started in the mind of one individual. Every single thing. And they believed in it strong enough that their hands created a prototype. And then their brain and excitement and drive got them to get the financing and find a manufacturing plant to make a bunch of prototypes and start selling those. And then the mind of another person in a usually big corporation decided that they wanted to have that product as part of their product line and paid the person that invented it money to take it to market. So now that, and they sold it to this big corporation and the big corporation already had everything in place to get that product out to the market. Everything in our lives is the product of someone's mind. Whatever the mind of man can conceive, the hand of man can achieve. You can achieve anything you put your mind to. It may sound crazy, but it's someone's dream that they were going to put a man on the moon, and it happened. It's someone's dream and my, worked in their mind that we were going to have a way to communicate worldwide instantly. It was someone's dream that everyone was going to be driving electric cars. It was someone's dream that we would have an Encyclopedia Britannica of information at our fingertips at all times, day and night, everywhere we went. All these things have been achieved because of someone's mind. They put it to into their mind, they focused on it, and they manifested that in their lives. You guys, whether you know it or not, I'm a huge fan of The Secret. And I would encourage you to look that up. And uh, it's actually based on Egyptian texts uh, and other writings. That's where The Secret comes from. And I've actually gone back and I'm trying to read the actual Egyptian texts on that. Basically, The Secret is the universal law of attraction. Whatever you send out, you will get back. So remember that. Anything the mind of man can conceive, the hand of man can achieve. All right? Thank you so much again for listening. If you agree or disagree, don't hesitate to write me, drew at thewatchdogsbark.com. And until next time, create an amazing day and relay the bark.